can turn with me to a, a Genesis in chapter 39. Continue our series in Genesis, book of Genesis, Bibles are at the back if you want to use one of those to pray before we read God's word. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being, open to it, of being able to open your words. I thank you that every word comes through your hand. Every word is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak well of our Redeemer, our Saviour, our King. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis 39 and verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favour in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left her, his garment in her hand, and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See? He has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I crowd out, cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I had lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, 
He was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed and may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant words. The big idea in this passage in Genesis 39 is really clear, the Lord was with Joseph. The theme, that theme bookends the story. It's there in the beginning, it's there in the middle when we have the story of the temptation from Potiphar's wife and it's there at the end. The Lord was with Joseph in verse 2. In verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. That was right at the outset, that was at the beginning. And then right at the end, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. And verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. It's clear what the big idea in the passage is. It really isn't. I mean, I think one of the, the best bits of the music, if anyone watched it last night, was Jason Donovan singing Any Dream Will Do. And I almost sang it two weeks ago, but I didn't. Um, but it's not about that any dream will do. The chapter is about God's purpose to show favour to Joseph as the recipient of his promises and as the purveyor of his blessings. The recipient of his promises and the channel of his blessings. And this story is in direct fulfilment to all that God promised Abraham in Genesis 12. It's not the fullness of everything that God has promised, but it's in direct fulfilment. Genesis 12 verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we see we are seeing this play out in Genesis 39. Verse 5, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. It's an explicit fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham. Through Joseph, the descendant of Abraham, the nations of the earth, here the Egyptians are being blessed. So that's why he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. He had no concern about anything except the food that he ate. It was true with Potiphar. It was true with the, the keeper of the prison. The, the keeper of the prison paid no attention, complete trust. Why? Because the Lord was with him. So Joseph is the means of great blessing to Potiphar's household, to the keeper of the prison and all that he's in charge of. And this is part of what's been happening in the larger narrative of Genesis. We see God blessing his people. We see God blessing those who come into contact with his people. Blessing them, those who bless him, cursing those who curse them. Now that is good. But we need to be careful lest we turn this incident about Joseph and we expect that this is going to be true of all of us. That, it's, that this is how it's going to play out for me and for you. I could just see how a preacher could go. If you just believe in God and his promises, you will have success in life, you'll be, you will climb ladders, and everything will go well for you. That wouldn't be a right application. God gave Joseph success, so he'll give me success. 
But there are a number of observations that we can make as we reflect on this big theme that the Lord is with Joseph. Number one, it should make us grateful when looking at our successes and humble when looking at the successes of others. So think about your successes, whether you feel that you've had lots of them in life or whether you're still looking for a few more. Think about Joseph. He was faithful. The success that God gave Joseph did not come about through Joseph sitting around doing nothing. He was gifted. He was hardworking. He clearly had an aptitude for administration, for managing people, overseeing. So often we think about those who have public gifts of speaking or music or other things. But here we have someone who is behind the scenes, amazingly making sure that everything runs smoothly and efficiently. But ultimately that success is from the Lord. So yes, Joseph had abilities that he used, but it could not be clearer. We see at the beginning and the end, it's not that Joseph was gifted. The point was the Lord was with him and gave him success. How do you look at the successes in your life? What you have, what you've accomplished, whatever success that you have had, Do you look at it as, I worked hard for it? Or the Lord has been good to me? The Lord has been good to me. In Deuteronomy 8, speaking to God's people before they entered the promised land, saying what they need to remember when they get to the promised land. Because the Lord says to his people, you're going to get to the promised land someday. And you're going to look around and you're going to look at the vineyards and you're going to Look at the harvest. You'll have homes. You'll have cities. And you'll be tempted to think, I did it. You remember the national anthem of hell? I did it my way. My hands put this together. Remember where they are. They're wandering around in the wilderness, punished for their sins for 40 years. And they're on the cusp of entering the promised land. And the reason they will enter the promised land is because God will knock down the walls of Jericho. That God will scatter the enemies. And God, by miraculous work of his hand, will give them the land. And he says many years later, when you're enjoying the harvests, when you're home, when you're tempted to forget me and forget what I did for you, and that word to Israel is a word of warning that God would give every generation, especially we live in a time of unparalleled wealth. Unparalleled wealth. We have thousands and thousands upon thousands more wealth and prosperity than they had in ancient Israel. And the temptation to think that the reason that everybody else does not have it is because they did not work as hard They were not as good, they were not as smart, they didn't play by the rules. This is what I have done. Let us be thankful for our successes and give thanks because they came from the Lord's hand. I wonder if you truly believe that, that everything that we have, we give thanks to the Lord.
but it also means that we should be humble when we look at the successes of others. This is the harder part of the equation. Harder when we do not have as much as we like or think we deserve. And it seems like everyone else, especially on social media, is living their best life now. You know what can be more difficult than the hate of our enemies? The success of our enemies. And it's hard to see our friends who seem to have everything going right for them. See, that's what got part of what Joseph got Joseph into trouble in the first place. You know, he was a bit of a snitch, wasn't he? And he, he, he branded, you know, he wandered around in that coat, and the brothers were jealous of him. And if they could see him now, it would, it would be Joseph again. Always with Joseph. It always works out for Joseph. The Lord is with him. And sometimes you don't have an explanation beyond that. I do not know why the Lord just chose to be with him. Why the Lord chose to give him success. Why the Lord chose to bless that family. Why the Lord chose to bless that church. Why the Lord chose to bless that business or that ministry. The Lord has his ways and his reason and we do not always know why. It's not down to me. It's the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. So be thankful for what the Lord has given you and be humble for what he's given to others. Number two, the theme that God is with you does not mean that our circumstances will automatically or immediately change just because he is with us. For someone that is so blessed by the Lord, Joseph has not had a lot of things go right. He ends the chapter in prison because someone lied about him again. This is the one who the Lord is with. He's in prison. In fact, there are a number of striking parallels between chapter 37 and 39 that scream to us, that shout from the rooftops, that the same thing is happening again. History is repeating itself. In chapter 30, if you think about it, in both chapters, Genesis 37 and 39, Joseph is the favourite of the head of the house. He is Jacob's favourite. He is Potiphar's favourite. In both chapters, he has a privileged position. Jacob says, go and check on your brothers. Potiphar says, I want you to watch over my slaves. In both chapters, Joseph has his outer garment taken from him. And the article of clothing seals his fate. In both cases. In 37, the coat of many colours was stripped from him, was dipped in blood. And they go home and say he's been torn by wild beasts. In chapter 39, it's his outer garment that was taken from him by Potiphar's wife. And when Potiphar came home, she brought it out as the article of clothing that proved his guilt. In both chapters, he ends up in bondage because he was loyal and obedient to Jacob and to Potiphar. He was loyal to Jacob. 
He went out at a distance of 65 miles or so to find his brothers. And because of his loyalty to his father, he was sold to the Ishmaelite traders. And here, because of his loyalty to Potiphar, he's faithful. He refuses to sleep with his wife. He ends up again in bondage. And both com- in both chapters, it is the pit that he is condemned, and it is in the pit that he finds deliverance. And did you know this, that the word for pit in 37, the word for prison in 39, is the same Hebrew word. So in, in chapter 37, his condemnation is he ends up in a pit. But it's from the pit that he will be sold and delivered. In 39, his condemnation is he will end up in prison. But from this pit, he will again find his deliverance. You see, despite the promise of blessing and the reassurance of God's presence, at this moment in Joseph's life, it's, it's the same things happening all over again. It's deja vu. He was loyal to his master. He was faithful. He was privileged. He worked hard. He was betrayed. He was lied about and he ended up in a pit. So just because the Lord was with him, it didn't mean that his circumstances were everything that he wanted them to be. And so it is with us. So it is with us. It's not to talk, it is not to talk about me at all, but one of the most defining moments of my life I look back on is when I had cancer. But I remember when I told the school that I was the director of, there were 75 people in the room, and, I, you know, and a, a, one of my friends, a dear friend, came and prayed for me, and he said, I remember it very clearly, he said, Lord, if it is your will, would you heal James? Lord, if it is your will. And immediately, in that moment, as I walked, somebody had the, you know, the sense of right timing to, to send me a text saying, I utterly reject that this is the Lord's will, it is from Satan. And wasn't a very, wasn't a very comforting moment, that, you know, you know, that wasn't. But it was, it, was, it was the Lord's will that I went through that, and I learned things that I would, I would have never have learned any other way. And gave me an urgency to tell people about the gospel. So just because you say the Lord is with me is not a magic wand to change your circumstances. You may still be in the pit. You may still be in the prison. It doesn't change immediately. Number three, the theme, this theme, the Lord is with me, does not mean we will not face temptation. Joseph's blessing are the occasion for the temptation. And that's a lesson for us here, because it's in the gifts and the blessings which you've been given that you'll find yourselves tempted. Your greatest strength can become your greatest weakness. What do I mean? Well, one of the blessings for Joseph, one of the ways that he had succeeded, was that Potiphar trusted him with everything in his house. So trusting that Potiphar went off on army excursions or trips to the other part of his kingdom, the kingdom, and leave his wife behind for great stretches of time. So trusting was Potiphar of Joseph, apparently not even thinking what it might entail at times for his wife to be home alone with this Hebrew servant. 
It was a measure of Joseph's success that led to the temptation. And it was this blessing, verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. We've heard that before. Apparently this is a really good-looking family. Remember Sarah was beautiful, Genesis 12. Rebecca was attractive, Genesis 26. Rachel was beautiful, Genesis 29. It's said about those three women of the family. Sorry Abraham, sorry Isaac, sorry Jacob. But here it says it about the guy. He was handsome in form. Same word, it's translated handsome because we usually use that with men rather than beautiful. But it's the same Hebrew word. He was beautiful, he was handsome in form and appearance. And there is a parallel, do you remember it, with Sarah and Rebecca? Because of their great beauty, a foreign official saw the women and their beauty and took them. That's why Abraham and Isaac lied and said, they're our sister, she's my sister. And because of God's grace, the foreign official was prevented from committing adultery with them. God intervened and rescued them. So their beauty was a danger. Well, here we see the same thing. Not a foreign official with the wife, but the wife and foreign official with the man. She sees that Joseph is handsome and she tries to take him. But this time, I want you to see this, the Lord doesn't intervene to rescue, but Joseph's moral courage that prevents the sin from happening. And as Potiphar's wife day after day tries to seduce him. We don't want to poison male and female interaction so you cannot, cannot have brotherly, sisterly love in the body of Christ because you're thinking well, every interaction is Potiphar's wife. No, they're likely not Potiphar's wife and you're probably not as good looking as Joseph. So we don't want to make this the template for male-female interactions. But at the same time, the passage reminds us that it is possible for women to be the aggressor. It is possible for women to lie about what happened between them and another man. The temptation that Joseph faces is pervasive. You see it in verse 10. She spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Maybe that's just a redundancy, a parallel, but I think they're two different things. To be with her, to have sexual relations with her or to lie beside her. And it may be that at times she's saying, just sit on the couch with me for a moment, which is how temptation always works. Temptation's not the whole thing at once. Temptation is just turn on that channel. Just ignore that rating. Just look a bit longer. Just linger with that glance. Just come here. Would you sit beside me? Do you hate me so much that you wouldn't sit with me? I just want to talk to you. Day after day. But Joseph resisted. Look at verses 8 to 9. Joseph resisted for two reasons. One, because he said it would be a sin against Potiphar. That's the point, verse 8 into verse 9. Because of me, my master has no concern. That trust. That trust. 
She is like the forbidden woman of Proverbs 7, and he is showing himself to be the wise man of Proverbs 6. And in Proverbs 6, we read that the man who commits adultery lacks sense. He destroys himself. He gets wounds and dishonour. He arouses jealousy and makes the spouse of the offending party furious. They seek revenge. Now, praise be to God. Through Jesus, there is forgiveness of sins and they can be washed away. But the ripple effects of this linger. Ask David and his household when he sinned with Bathsheba. God forgave David, but his family had to deal with the fallout from there on in. So one of the reasons Joseph says, I'm not going to commit this offence against my master. I'm not going to be a fool. It is a sin against my master. But the second reason, he knew that it was a sin against God. He said in verse 9, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And do you realise that this is a long time before the Ten Commandments? And yet people knew this. We see it through the book of Genesis, these foreign kings. They took Sarah or Rebecca because they thought, this is the man's sister. And when they found out it was the man's wife, even those kings had a sense that this is not right. Because the law of God, the moral law, you might call it the natural law, is written on the hands of men, hearts of men. Adultery is a sin against the spouse and a sin against God. And Joseph realised that. Now think about how Joseph could have rationalised this sin, could have excused it away. And there are lots of ways when we face temptation that we rationalise sin. Joseph could have felt sorry for himself. Think about all that I have been through up to this point. And he could have had a pity party. Just feel like someone was mean to me, or I'm just tired, or I'm just feeling sorry for me. And you start to think you deserve something. He could have rationalised himself. Look how bad her husband is. He has been in slavery. He's ignoring his wife. Why is it that she would pester Joseph day after day? Does she not have an attentive husband? You see... This is what I'm getting at. If this was a film, if this was a film, everything in the film would make you play your heartstrings to make you think that that the forbidden love is good and and the traditional love is bad. That's the way the world thinks. He could have rationalised. Well, what will happen if I don't do it? Think of all the people depending on me. Potiphar's entrusted everything to me. He could have thought, yeah, I know it's not right, but let's weigh the pros and cons. What's the lesser evil? If I don't do this and then she says something bad to me, then I can't take care of all these people. Maybe he was tempted to rationalise what in fact happened, that she could ruin his life. She had authority over him. She had the ability to make his life miserable. But even with that, Joseph knew that it would be a sin. Now, let me add an important qualification here. We're not talking about being physically overpowered. We're not talking about an adult with a child and an adult with a youth. Many people who experience that kind of 
assault or abuse struggle mightily and feel as if they're guilty of something, that the stain is on them. We don't want that and that is not the case here. Even though Joseph was in a lower position to Potiphar's wife, he was still a man. Now he knew that though she may be manipulative, even though she could do things to make his life miserable, it would be a great sin. Joseph had the power to run. He doesn't play with fire, which is often the right thing to do. He doesn't get near to the flame. He says no, and he runs away. There are some peculiar temptations that come to us in the Christian life. Some come when we're facing adversity, and some come when we're facing prosperity. And Joseph had both kind of temptations at the same time. There are some temptations you face in the middle of adversity. You have a sense of desperation, pity, discouragement, depression. You just want to feel good. You want an escape. You want to release. You say, I deserve this. There is a temptation when we're facing adversity. But there's also temptation in the midst of prosperity. Because with success comes a sense of entitlement. A sense that you can do anything you want and everything will turn out the way you want it. You'll get away with it and you deserve it. I think some of the things sometimes we see is a sense of entitlement. And even if we're caught out, well, it's okay. I, I can kind of get away with it. And with success, people are drawn to you. People may be drawn to you because you're beautiful in form and appearance, or you have power, you have something that they want, charisma, success, accolades. Well, Je Joseph is facing both at the same time. He's clearly in the midst of adversity. He could have rationalised because of adversity or because of his prosperity. I'm good at what I do. My master has put me in charge of everything. But Joseph passed the test. And we are meant to see Genesis 39 in contrast to Genesis 38, where the temptation was so much less for Judah. But he succumbed because he went to Tamar and said, lie with me. He initiates with the temptation and he sins. Joseph stood the test. The Lord was with him. This is not a coincidence that in the book of Genesis, the only person described as being filled with the Spirit of God is Joseph. Genesis 41 verse 38. We cannot be sure of success in every undertaking, but we can be sure the Lord will not continue to grant us success if we persist in our sins. Now it may be for a time you still look to have the worldly veneer of success, but ultimately, ultimately, you will not have success if you persist in sin. So part of the story Moses is writing down to help the Israelites reflect upon their temptations in Egypt. And Joseph is the first to have temptation to compromise. His family will have temptations to compromise for centuries. There is re this refrain in the Kings and the Chronicles, the Kings were marvellously helped until they became strong. And it's at the point of Joseph's strength, the trust that Potiphar put in him, 
he was tempted. Now, there is temptation. There are ethical decisions that are hard to make. Sometimes temptations look to be grey because we want them to be. They are black and white and we put on grey glasses because we want them to be confusing. But Joseph could have rationalised. And my friends, if we keep close to God, we know the right thing to do and we need to do it and trust God with the outcome. How many times do we need to do the right thing and trust God for the outcome? If the wrong thing is put in front of you, then do not do it. The Lord will stick close to those who walk with him. One commentator puts it this way, one cannot willfully sin against God and continue to enjoy his presence and blessing. And then fourthly, the theme, the Lord be with you, reminds us that God is with us even when no one else is. And this is such a tremendous encouragement. The Lord is with us even when no one else is. The theme, the Lord is with us, is not just to show us why Joseph was successful, but to show us that in all of his predicaments, he was never alone. Oh, he probably felt alone when he was in the pit. He probably felt alone when he was on the back of that wagon with the Ishmaelite traders, taking him off some place he didn't know where. He probably felt alone being put into prison. He was going to be alone when his prisoners forgot about him. So many times he could have thought, I am alone in this world, but this chapter reminds us he was not. The Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him. The narrator is telling us what Joseph may have struggled to believe. You can add up the word Lord in this passage, the one with the small uppercase and capital letters, which is the translation for Yahweh, the Lord. It's seven times, seven times, not a coincidence, seven times in this chapter. It is used only one other time in the whole of the Joseph narr narrative. So it's clearly a focus here on the Lord was with him. Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him hesed, love, steadfast love. One of the most beautiful words in the Bible, hesed. And when you pray for someone and you rattle off quick prayers as we all want to do, and you say the Lord be with them, that can be a thoughtless prayer, but it doesn't have to be empty. Because if you put everything together, this is what we need most, that the Lord be with us. When you're praying for someone, your spouse, your children, your friends, would you pray, God be with us, so we don't despair. God be with us, so we do not sin. God be with us, that we keep going. And the one who comes, the Son of God, whose name is Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. He is the one who came near. He is the one who sticketh closer than a brother. And he is the one who sympathises with us in our weaknesses. He is the one who not only hears you when you pray, he intercedes before the throne of God for you. He will help you when morning dawns. His mercies are new every morning. 
Not just a promise, not just a promise, but a reality that he is with you. It's not just anybody, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, a human being like you and yet not like us. He is the God-man. And I think that's what I want you to take away from this passage this morning. That if you put your trust in Jesus, if you truly commit your life, your eternity to him, he will be with you. He will be with you in whatever pit, in whatever prison, in whatever temptation. May the Lord be with us. Amen.